Hello and welcome back to Coast to Coast FC, the Canadian soccer podcast focused on all things CPL, Canadian Championship and more. My name is Felipe Vallejo. And I'm Mike Rice. And today we're going to do a little bit of a news recap, a new November news recap. A lot of things have been coming out since the end of the season, even throughout the playoffs. And a lot of people have been discussing on social media what certain pieces of news are true, what they can imply, and what kind of impacts they can have on the league. Now, there was so much that we figured, you know what, it would be nice to just sit down and have a chat about everything that's going on in the Canadian Premier League slash Canadian soccer sphere right now. So that's what we're doing today in today's episode. But before we jump into it, make sure to follow us on our Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Coast to Coast FC, and on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and wherever you fa- uh, hear your podcasts, so you know exactly when we upload. But we're going to start now. There's so many places we could start, but I think a good one considering the episode that we released earlier this season on York United discussing the ownership sort of situation that's going on there. It might be good to start off with York United. Biggest news, or I guess one of the biggest news, a lot of news coming out of York United right now, is that Angus McNabb has stepped down uh, from his position as new ownership is imminent. He released a... A nice statement discussing his time at the club, sort of as the caretaker of the club and moving forward, the rebranding. And we we had a conversation with him, Mike, uh, on the episode discussing how his time has been. And I feel like from the responses, from the comments and replies, a lot of people hold a lot of respect and a lot of love for McNabb. But it makes sense for him to be stepping down as new ownership is coming in. And a lot of rumors have been coming around with that new ownership. Uh, Ollie Platt on One Soccer revealed that it is uh, a North American side, not necessarily Canadian side, a North American side. Um, that is the new ownership group. It has been confirmed by, I believe it was Northern Tribune, that it isn't 777, the super <laughs> uh, investment group that seems to be buying clubs every which way in every country that they possibly can. Mm. Uh, and there has been an inkling that it's, it actually might be a Mexican group uh, from the team Rajados. So a lot of things to <laughs> talk about, a lot of things to unpack there. Uh, Mike, let's start with the Angus McNabb news. Did this take you by surprise? And do you think it is the right move, you know, moving forward with how the club is taking a new direction? I don't think so. Um, I mean, quite flippantly, when we spoke to him, he was in the US. Um, so I'm not sure how much time and how uh, how much he himself had uh, had seen his role <laughs> continuing. Um he it just appeared he was there to make sure that this um this sale goes through uh and then he, he was there to ensure that everything ran smoothly i mean he was quite clear with us uh while we were discussing with him that this isn't an issue to discuss this is something that they've planned that they've uh York united and the league had planned to make sure that the ownership of the club and the progression of the club continues in a way which FC Edmonton didn't um, make sure that they had that long-term survival, make sure that they have um, a plan in place to bring in a new owner. And once those new owners come in, 
more often than not they're going to want their own staff to uh and they're going to have their vision for what the club would be and i think from what would that i mean i mean do you do you feel the same way when we spoke with angus nav he just seemed like right I, I, this is my job till then i'm going to do, make sure that this works out and i can leave this knowing i've give, left it in good hands yeah, it did feel a little bit like he was at peace with what was mm. going on. And I think for him, it was just dealing with that transition and trying to, you know, quell all of the rumors that are going around that, you mm. know, this bad sentiments that this is, a you know, uh, something that could be bad. Obviously, a lot of people were still had fresh in the minds what happened with FC Edmonton yeah. when, when their owners, uh, you know, seceded their their ownership over the club and how eventually that ended with um fc edmonton folding yeah but i think he did a pretty decent job yeah. even on the on, on the episode to kind of quell those fears and be like listen this is not like that situation it's a completely different situation this one's much more organized it's much more sort of amicable mm. and we will find some a home for them with all things in place so i think uh, he was sort of knowing ahead of time that I might not be here once the change comes, but I will be here until the change comes to make sure it's as smooth as possible. Mm-hmm. And I think that takes a lot of character uh, for for someone to do that, to kind of, you know, he was at the head of the whole rebranding and everything. This has been his project yeah. for quite a number of years for him to kind of, you know, very amicably, just be like, okay, I did my time here is done, but but I'm not going to leave it and scorch it, or I'm not going to leave it unattended. I mm. want to make sure that it, I can give it as much care and consideration as I can until the new ownership comes. Now with that new ownership, still not announced, but a lot of rumors yeah. flying by. You know, one of the big things was people were saying the seven 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 sports group. Uh, obviously, they're in the news across the pond in the UK where you are yeah, right now exactly for <laughs> what's going on with Everton. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of not great rumors about mm. them right now. They're in the, you know, in the headlines for maybe not the best of reasons uh, for some legal dramas that are going there. <laughs> So they should I think feel very of... at home in the Premier League. Then. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, but in the Canadian Premier League, yeah. <laughs> I think, I mean, personally, and I'm curious to see what you think. Do you think that's despite them being this massive sports group, right? This, you know, huge mm. corporation that loves to invest in, in different sports. Do you think it's it was it's a it's good news that this is not the group moving forward with York United, given all of the things the the rumors and allegations that are sort of being you know filled with uh, their name in in UK newspapers right now? Exactly. I mean, there's um, like when it comes to that, you you want to know that the owners coming in are ethical owners. <laughs> um, and legal owners coming in. So any any speculation that's coming off now, especially a club like York United, don't need that after so much that they've gone through themselves to then think, okay, well, here comes someone, but can we trust them? It, it, that's always going to happen, I think, when you get a new owner. Um, and there's you can never... You can, uh, I mean, I, I maybe quite flippant, but you can never, you can never tell what these, what these new owners will ever want uh, when they come in as a, as a fan of a club. But to know that, I mean, this company, uh, this group, they're picking up, looking to pick up clubs in different places. You want, I think, for a CPL side, 
what you want is a partnership like what um Ottawa have um uh, with Atletico uh, in Spain. You know what you want that connection with other leagues to help improve and build the quality in Canada, but and also with the like the transfer of uh information and training for the clubs and the coaches and the backroom staff to make sure that the club operates well. And that's what you'd like. Obviously, you mentioned Rayadas there um, beforehand. Something like that, a club so big and so well run in Mexico to then, okay, we'll take steps and we're slowly building. A big organization like Triple Seven, where it's just, okay, we'll throw a bit here, a bit here, a bit here, right? That's okay. This one's doing really well at the moment. Let's focus on this and we'll come to this one later, maybe. You don't want to get yourself in that sort of position. And, when someone's taking on so much, like, and is looking to expand globally so much, then there is always that worry that, okay, well, if we're not picking up our ticket sales week in, week out, um, like, are they going to forget about us? Yeah. And I think that's something that even at the top level in the Premier League, you hear about, you know, a lot of top Premier League teams and their fans always complain, like, that the stewards and the ownership think of it as a business rather than a football club. And that's in, in England where the history runs for, for, you know, decades or even over a century. And so for a team in the premier league, that's still just starting out and building that history. You don't want to be left in a position. Like you mentioned, where you're sort of an afterthought. And then, you know, you look towards your ownership and because they're focused, they have so many hands in different baskets. Mm. If you you look towards your ownership for support and they can't give it to you, at, at this early stage in the league, at this, you know, it's just a fledgling league and a fledgling team. If you don't get that proper support and infrastructure, then it could spell disaster in the same way that it, it looked like for FC Edmonton, just in a different way. It could end even more in flames, mm. especially if legal things come exactly. come into it that could <laughs> impose some serious issues and set. Yeah sanctions for the team that we don't even want to discuss up potential uh, yeah but it yeah, does open can. up yeah <laughs> exactly exactly but it does open uh the discussion of okay you mentioned and i think it's a great point that maybe we should look towards other leagues kind of to rely on their own experience and what they've created to help build our own mm. and i think some i've seen some people aren't the biggest fans of that because they want it's Canadian Premier League yeah. to be kept within Canada with the Canadian foundations. And I understand that. But at the same time, I think you have to recognize that it's a fledgling league, still football, despite the the deep history that Canada has with soccer. Mm. It's still within the modern age. It's still not as developed as other countries to rely on other countries' teams, like how, uh, Atletico Ottawa's with Atletico Madrid, which is a powerhouse mm. in Europe, to be able to bring the staff and that training, that regiment, that that infrastructure could be huge. And relying, just sort of kind of, you know, leaning on these teams a little bit for a few years or whatever it takes to then build that league, I think is fine. So, But that still opens up the question for you. I'm curious, if it is this Mexican group with, let's say, Rajaos, mm. would you see York then rebranding again and sort of like Atletico Ottawa kind of this taking on this Mexican culture this Mexican image and adopting that as its own culture with a connection with this pair club and do you think that would be good for the fans of York United 
Yeah, that's a really tough one because I think, I mean, you look at Toronto as a city, like the the demographics in that city is just vast. And if you try and build a whole team focused on, like if it is a Mexican team that take over a Mexican culture, that um, are you are you going to still be able? You may increase the sales of maybe some Latin American fans who want to come in and get involved, Mexican fans around the city, but it could work out very differently to, as to what Atletico have in um, Ottawa, where they've they they they've seemed to have done quite well sticking to what they're doing, but maybe the. I don't know the, the the cultural demographics of Ottawa, but um, it may not be that. It may not be. It's not that it's not a bigger city as Toronto. It's not as far reaching. So you maybe there's the concern about alienating some members of the um, supporters groups and the supporters who just don't identify with that style of play or that style of culture around football. But on the on the positive side, you could like and the other side of it. Sorry, you can then say well playing style wise the way that the game is playing maybe this would be a really interesting way of bringing that into the canadian premier league and the style that these teams play could that could that find that link with the canadian the toronto culture uh in the club um that really gets something out because yeah, you've got the flip side of the atletico ottawa side where okay that they seem to have bought into what the club is doing there but not always the most exciting, uh, which can be the harder, hard to get fans in. Whereas maybe if you've got a tight team like Realas who like, like, um, uh, like to control the game, like to dictate possession, like to be like an attacking side, then maybe they like fans could jump in on that, and that can be something that okay, well, it may not be of this culture, but I like this style of football. So you've got the two sides that's really difficult to tell. I think that's a bit of a gamble, I guess, for whoever takes over. Well, maybe not a gamble. They've probably got some very good members of staff who will look into this. But from from your question, I think it's a, a bit of a toss-up. It could go well both ways, I think. Yeah, and I think it really depends on the line that they draw and then sort of the one that they follow. Because I think, you, like you mentioned, it could alienate. Because I think even in with Atletico Ottawa, especially with Ottawa being one of, if not the most bilingual mm. city, at least major city in in Canada, with the with French because with it's around the edge yeah. with Quebec, the fact that it's identifying a Spanish culture and not a French culture, despite mm. you know French being uh, used there as much because of obviously legal and parliament matters, but still French being used yeah, exactly. uh, quite a bit alongside English. I think I remember seeing some people that were a little disappointed that I wasn't you know catered towards that part. It felt like it was sort of alienating a little bit of the French side because they went with Spanish, even though there's no real Spanish connection mm. in, in Ottawa. And I think. A risk could run in the same way with a Mexican team in in York or wherever they decide to maybe they'll relocate somewhere else and, and change yeah. the name once again. But I think the point is you can have some of that, but you have to try your best not to alienate the fans that you've already had because we've seen you know speaking with namu and seeing other fans uh from you know center of the universe and all of the other supporters groups they truly love this club and they've been through it thick and thin i think they deserve to be rewarded by an ownership group that takes them heavily into consideration 
while also looking to garner new fans, more attention, uh, you know, a better marketing position and be able to look towards new fans and have more Mexican fans come in and stuff like that without mm-hmm. sacrificing. So, yeah, it's a really tough question. I'm sure a lot of people who have much more experience and, and credentials <laughs> than we do will have already thought of these things. But I think it's a good thing to keep in mind as news comes out and eventually once the ownership group will be announced, mm. then it'll be uh, a lot of more questions will be asked of how they're going to do that. Obviously, is it going to be a complete rebranding mm. where, you know, where are they going to play their games? It's exactly. a lot of stuff, a lot of <laughs> question marks, a lot of gray areas. But from one hand, it's a little obviously, you know, anxious. Uh, a lot of people mm. are anxious about it. But from the other hand, it's really exciting because yeah. now for your United, especially if it is a, a Mexican team or or another team in general, that is interested in investing, and that means that York United, or whatever they will be called, uh, <laughs> if they change, will have a new sort of fresh page, and that mm. provides a lot of exciting opportunities for them. So it's going to be an exciting time to see what happens with York United as more news is released. Definitely, and um, I think they're a they're a team that they've stumbled into the playoffs chaos more than anything else mm. if you've got a club like an, a, a team that want to bring a philosophy to that club this playing philosophy a way of setting themselves up a way of training players to come in to be able to play in a certain way that'll really help this team because they're so all over the place at the moment and they got some successes this year with that chaos but i think they you, we saw players with quality there they brought players with quality into that team but somehow they just don't know where to fit them so if if they are linking up with someone who brings the style i mean that could be a great thing as well for york yeah yeah definitely especially with how you said that they just sort of snuck into the playoffs there and <laughs> managed to get some successes despite the chaos that this year provided imagine what they could be capable of with some more order and structure and a clear philosophy and the like so yeah i agree i think it'll It'll only be hopefully good news for York United <laughs> once that's announced. But speaking of uh, of playoffs and sides that snuck in, we're going to talk actually about the like a few of the sides that snuck out or weren't even in the running. <laughs> let's be honest. Two out of the three sides who finished out of the playoffs doubled down and extended their head coach's contracts for 2024. So that was obviously Carlos Gonzalez for Letico Ottawa <laughs> and Phil Dos Santos for Valor. Uh, Afshin Gopi just got here <laughs> this season, yeah, so, so uh, <laughs> I can't expect that. But for the two teams that have been around, mm. uh, them extending uh, their contracts with both of these head coaches, obviously both head coaches have been in different situations, mm. uh, have different track records, and you could argue for why they might deserve it or not deserve it for completely different reasons. But let's start with with the one that I think for me was a bit more surprising, which was the Phil Dos Santos one Mm. for Valor FC. Now, anyone who has listened to the podcast knows that Valor FC is Mike's darling. So I will (laughs) turn it to you to think, what was your reaction with Phil Dos Santos? Obviously, we had a chat with him and it was a really insightful thing, uh, chat about what his plans are for the future and what he wants to focus on. But for you personally, what did you feel when you saw that uh, contract extension announcement? And did you feel like it was warranted given everything that's happened this season? 
Yeah, I think it is a really tough one. I mean, you look at the, you listen to supporters, and a lot of them will blame Bill de Santos for his like his style of management and his tactical um, style of play that he he tried to imprint on this team. Um, but then, if you on the other side, injuries have um, been a real struggle for them. Um, Anthony Novak just didn't get fit um for this season and then the players they brought in uh Siaj didn't quite do what um what maybe they would have hoped Keen Williams in and out um and uh um Neon Gabire as well exciting at times but struggled a little bit um especially towards the end of the season and one thing that really stuck in my mind from that chat we had with him um, when we when we interviewed him a few few episodes back now, um, how he said he wants to focus on getting some like scouting in this league, building up um, some um, further conversations with players to sell them on the the the, the um, project he has in his mind for twenty twenty four. And part of me thinks, well, is that did he want players like Pacific? Kean Williams, all these players coming from abroad where he said it's a bigger risk. And maybe he's gone to those owners. I mean, this is all pure speculation. Maybe he's gone to you and said, look, you maybe they wanted these players more than he did. And they said, right, these are the players we can get you, like, and then fill in what you can around that. Maybe there was a bit of a disconnect between the ownership and the manager about the players. Um I mean, like I say again, pure speculation, but I just felt from that. He had a. He's probably gone to those owners and said, "Look, I want another year. This is what I want to do, and it's going to be based on players who know, who he's more familiar with, who are very familiar with the league. And as more names come up of players being released by clubs as they, as they, um, as they release their roster updates, um, you can see some some quite exciting names come up um, who could really, really help this team. And maybe this is something that he's gotten in his mind. Uh, and from that, that's why I was not as surprised as I think others, because I think that consistency as well is what will help Valor as well, because they need something. They can't just go and change everything again and say, right, let's grab a new coach. We'll try and get a whole new team of players. You can't look at Halifax and go, yeah, that'll work for everyone. That's it's a bit of an mm. outlier. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, and I think it, it, it's a it's a great point there that maybe there were. I mean, clearly there must have been something happening uh, in this last season for Valor because things weren't clicking. Whether it be maybe something between the players and the coach, or the coach and the owners, or something, there must have been some sort of disconnect or some sort of issue there, uh, or else because. This, this team is good and has quality players that we've mm. seen and for them to sort of finish where they finished doesn't make sense unless something was going on behind the scenes and i think the show of faith in Phil santos as surprising as it was for me i think is the right move because he can bring the team forward if he has the right tools and i think especially after the interview with him speaking about how he wants to focus on Canadian talent mm. and bring people who know the league or in and around the league and have them be the focus instead of what they gambled on last year, which is a lot of international signings. Mm. I think that will help sort of settle the team down 
and give him something more, a bit more tangible to work with. Because one of the things that I learned uh, from speaking with Ashwin Gopi at the year-end media for Vancouver FC is that when you are recruiting, a lot of the times, because you don't have maybe a, a bunch of resources to properly send scouts you know, across the four corners of the world, mm-hmm. you're you're looking at it, you're sort of window shopping. You're kind of yeah. looking at it just through some videos and you have to base a whole player off of a few highlight clips, whatever you manage to find or to muster mm-hmm. up. So it is very difficult to recruit internationally, especially at the level that the, this league is at currently. Mm-hmm. And so for him to focus more on the Canadian talent and domestic talent, I think is the right way forward for Valor. And clearly the owners must have been convinced for him, for them to give him that contract extension and for to give him to continue to give him the keys to the club. And I'm hoping that this offseason shows uh that they are in unison about this and we see a lot more Canadian or domestic talent be included uh in, in Valor and uh, hopefully a little bit of resurgence mm. uh from the side that uh, was uh, disappointing uh, in a lot of ways uh, yeah. throughout the season. And I think the fans deserve to have uh, uh, some sort of direction that gives them hope for what the club can achieve, especially uh, in the city that they're in. Exactly. And I mean, the, obviously the ownership group with the, the uh, Canadian um, football, the uh, the American football team, the Bombers, um, so they, they're used to success. Maybe there was a bit of a jump of, we need to bring in these players. We want to be challenging straight away. I feel like, okay, let's, we're going to back you. You want to bring in players that know the league. I feel like maybe there's been a little bit of the understanding of, look, we just haven't made the playoffs. Let's just try to build a team that makes the playoffs next year. And we'll see then what we can do and or how the season, how the season goes. I think maybe there's, they need to be realistic about, where they are right now they're a team that yeah five years in and haven't given their fans playoff football or any like any shouts at um competing at that sort of top level um where their other partner the sister the sister team had um so maybe they're progressing trying to progress a little bit more slowly rather yeah. than, longer term thinking rather than shorter term possibly is what i'm trying to say yeah no, and, and I think it, it, especially with maybe what happened with Edmonton, they saw, hey, if we don't sort of be more competitive, then this could go down the drain very quickly. Mm-hmm. And so maybe they adopted a sort of win now mentality yeah. in bringing these international players. Well, now they get maybe they thought, OK, let's instead of doing the, with this win now mentality, let's think about it as a project. And we want Phil Dos Santos at the head garnering. Mm-hmm new Canadian talent, developing them and making them better. And by making them better, making the team better. So hopefully that is a new direction yeah. going forward. Again, this is just us sort of speculating. Yeah, speculation, from what we can. From... But yeah, you can definitely, but, uh, those fans definitely wanted more. Um, and yes. I think he's going <laughs> to, he's going to have a lot of pressure on his back to, to actually change that style of play early on as well like if things are if these first three four games are nil nil one nil not too many chances fans are going to see that and just think oh we're going to have another season of this again so so, so he's got to change something quite quickly as well so there is a lot of pressure on him yeah 
Yeah, for sure. A lot of pressure on him. Mm. Uh, almost as much pressure as the next coach that yeah. we're going to talk about, <laughs> which is Carlos Gonzalez, who got his uh, contract extended as, as well after a, you know, I don't think there's any other way, a torrid end yeah, of the yeah. season for him and his team from potential tighter title contenders to missing out on the playoffs mm. on the final day. It was an unceremonious fall from grace for Atletico Ottawa. And a lot of people on social media were thinking that that was the end of the line for Carlos Gonzalez because of what Atletico Ottawa managed to achieve the year before. On the other hand, a lot of people were saying that he deserves more time because exactly of what he managed to achieve the year before. So for you, same thing as before, Mike, what was your reaction to Carlos Gonzalez's contract extension? And do you think that he did deserve it to be granted more time? Or do you think this might be a gamble that Atletico Ottawa might not pay off from? Yeah, this is, I think this is where we go. I'm I'm curious um, for your points because I think this one was more surprising. I mean, I I didn't think uh, I I didn't think he would go, but the same with Phil DeSantis. As I thought both teams would stick with them, but I think Ottawa backed him mid-season um, with these signings: Zapater, Del Campo coming in. They looked to try and improve. They identified. A weakness in the system they had and they re- recognized right we need these players to improve us it didn't they, they zapater was fantastic but they didn't get them into the uh into the playoffs and mm. the style of play he's they're very stubborn <laughs> with how they're going to play they're not they don't change and that and as that run of games continued going into the end of the season <laughs> you thought something had to but he stuck to it. He said, no, we're just doing what we do. And it continued like it continued to go badly. And it, Ottawa haven't been a different team. Last year it worked. This year it worked at times. It started like things started to go a bit wrong. And there was no there's no plan B. There's no change. There's no there's nothing to spur them on to then go back to how they were playing it's it's all the same and i think that was the that was the curious thing for me i thought like just that he, he his inability to to change the way this team play and to have a different philosophy depending on the team you're playing against as well um threw up questions to me especially when they have this these links around the world and quality coaches that they must already have on their radar yeah. Yeah. And especially you mentioned that style of play, because I think that was the biggest complaint that I saw in the Atletico Ottawa spaces throughout mm-hmm. social media was that you can't be this super defensive team and then consistently lose last minute, exactly. uh, you know, time and time and time again. It just doesn't work that way. It, it can't work that way. It did work that way, but it can't, you know, yeah, it shouldn't well, yeah. work that way. <laughs> um, And so I, I think for me, what I would be, interested to, to to have been you know to be a fly on the wall in the conversations between carlos gonzalez and the and the owners to warrant him that contract extension because he must have come in with uh an idea of how to avoid this from happening next season and then i i can only imagine that it must be in a different direction to what they did for mm-hmm. this season because 
I think the biggest thing, what that sort of end of the season showed is that the style of play that they were trying to do wasn't sustainable because mm. you can't lose in the 90 plus minute, <laughs> what, four or five weeks in a row mm. without, you know, it looking without being an issue of mentality and also an issue of tactics. And I think it actually play hand in hand, in my opinion, the mentality and the tactics, because you can only withhold and, and just hang on for so long in a season. It's a long season. I mean, short compared to other seasons, but still for, uh, for, for a new league and for players that be, this is their first league, it's a long season, 28 games. Yeah. And to be able to try to play that consistently and throughout an entire season, eventually something had to give. And when it gave, it gave way. It broke the dam. And so I'm thinking for Carlos Gonzalez, is he going to try to approach next year with a new plan in mind? Because Atletico, anyone who knows Atletico Madrid and follows the team either in the Champions League or in La Liga know that they are a very defensive team. They are a very, very pragmatic team. Mm -hmm. They are... You know, they've they've shaped their philosophy around Diego Simeone and the way that he likes to play his teams. But they are a much more established team in that play style because they've gone through these painful periods with uh with mm. you know Simeone and now they've reaped successes with league titles and getting to the Champions League final in the last 10 yeah. years and yada yada. And the issue with Atletico Ottawa is are they willing to go through those same sort of painful moments with a, with this identity from Carlos Gonzalez, or is he willing to adapt and willing to be a bit more flexible? Because I agree with you. There were times where I'm, where I was confused at how sort of stubborn yeah. this, this team was being, or Carlos Gonzalez was being with the makeup of the team and defending so much with quality players that they have not trying to assert themselves and be a bit more of an attacking side. So I'm, I can only imagine that they must be going in the, even though it's still Carlos Gonzalez in a different direction because they can't have another repeat of mm. what happened uh, at the end of this season. And if I genuinely think if it looks like it's going in any, any way similar, let's say at the beginning of mm. the season, then we might see a mid-season sacking for Carlos Gonzalez because especially with what they achieved uh, in the season before in the regular season, mm. they want to be in and amongst the big boys between Calvary, Forge, and Pacific. And so for that, they need to avoid mm. having something like that happen again. Yeah, I mean, like we we saw them at times try and come out quicker early in games, start games really quick and then sit back. Um, and that seemed to be the plan no matter what happened so if they didn't get that goal in the first 20 minutes they're still sitting back but they haven't got a lead to protect they've got nothing like they, there's a mis one mistake can co will cost you um, and the difference you, you obviously like obviously you mentioned there like Madrid and Ottawa they Madrid have gone through all these times Madrid are in La Liga that's been going on for a hundred odd years. The Canadian Premier League's five years. Like part of this, part of the role of this club and the role of the manager and the players on the pitch is to get fans in. Like we're they're building a league. This isn't just right. Well, we're a club in an established league. We're building a league as well. And if you're going to be 
very defensive you've got to succeed <laughs> um, because otherwise it can put people off those who are on the fence about whether they want to come along and watch games well it's going to be nil nil most of the game it's not going to be that much fun they keep throwing away leads so um, well, maybe i'll just go and watch something else like so that's that's the thing they've got to compete with and that's they're going to have to be confident that they're going to get back up into that sort of top top levels of the uh top few spaces in the league next season under him uh, if they're going to keep going with him yeah and i think it'll be telling uh what direction they might go with him now based on the additions that they'll make because mm. you know likely there'll be a spanish player in there yeah. <laughs> um as they add maybe a, another loan from a spanish mm. club or something like that with the connections that they have but it would be interesting to see if they start to attract some players that are a bit more attack focused and a bit more adventurous. You know, you I've mentioned before throughout the season about players have coming in that have a certain X factor, like Benny, Benny Banga yeah. for Forge, that you know that he's an exciting player to watch. And every time that he's on the ball, you kind of sit up and mm. wait to see what he does. Ottawa, aside from Ollie Bassett, who is capable of doing that? Don't really have that sort of X factor. Mm-hmm. I mean, beforehand, Balu Tabla, you could argue, was that for them. Ever since he left, they really haven't had that. Mm-hmm. And now that would be probably a player that I would be looking to see if they recruit, because that would be a more of a statement of intent. It's like we are now going into this league, not just into this new season of the league, not just to, you know, right some wrongs, but to now go further and attack. We're not going to just sit back mm. and wait. Now we're going to actually get on to you. Mm. And uh, I think that'll be interesting to see, especially with all of the changes that are going on <clears throat> with personnel. And yeah. speaking of changes that are going on with personnel, I think uh, we should maybe chat about some of the roster changes that have mm. been going on throughout the season so what i've seen so far is only two teams have announced sort of the squads uh squad updates one as recently as today in (laughs) halifax wanderers but we'll start with the team that first did it which was the newest team to the league vancouver fc announced some departing players for 2023 uh among them was uh jeremy jelinski who was the backup goalkeeper, mm-hmm. Nikki Gimia, who was the Ghanaian winger, uh, Nathaniel St. Louis, who was a forward, and the one that obviously uh, kind of leaked out and, and kind of yeah. made a bit of news was <laughs> Sean Hundau, uh, who was uh, one of the more prolific players for the team mm. in, uh, in, in, in the early stages of the season. When you look at uh, the release of Sean Hundell there, were you a bit surprised to see his name mentioned among those? Or do you think that because of the fact that he was being sort of played out of position, he sort of had to now be second fiddle to Alejandro Diaz, and the fact that Ashton Gobby kept you know, putting his faith in Diaz as that number nine, despite him not scoring after his first two games, might have rubbed Sean the wrong way and then sort of, got into uh that's uh uh you know i i, I want to say amicable i don't know if it was amicable i don't really know but yeah. just, just that kind of just like mutual termination of the contract yeah it's i mean when they when the season started um i was confident he was one of their top players like you watch him play he, he's got quality um he was helping a very 
inexperienced side uh, and he, he he showed his qualities on the ball battling away up front on his own at times um really useful on the counter attack um and then to like you mentioned bring in Alejandro Diaz he gets moved shunted across to the side then he's in and out because you've brought in Mickey Cantav who was playing really well um when he got his opportunities as well so all of a sudden he's not this number line leading the team he's in a mix of attacking players who will be rotated and he himself is getting played out of position and um it's something obviously I tweeted it out and <laughs> we haven't spoken about this but he did uh I'm spoken about talking about this on the pod but he commented didn't he on the um on the release mm. um and deleted it quite soon after and um he's he talking he spoke quite a lot about uh, spoke about his fondness for his teammates um but maybe the club in general um there's concerns uh, i think from his side it seems on how it's run um so it's <laughs> you imagine that those um those thoughts must have been uh echoed around the training camp and the boardrooms and the back offices throughout that season when he was not really getting the opportunities i think he deserved i mean you went down there a lot and watched them he's he was one of their top players, I thought, and especially as Alejandro Diaz wasn't scoring goals. <laughs> I mean, that it must have been a really difficult thing for him to have to deal with, I guess. Yeah, no, and uh, that's one one of the things that you know you hear about. You know, little whispers here mm-hmm. and there is about uh, players maybe not being happy about being played out of position, and you know, Ashton Guppy had to play players in a position at the beginning of the season because they didn't have a big enough squad they didn't have certain players in positions that they wanted to have and so he had to make do and you know players being unhappy in club at clubs is nothing new no. and it's something that uh you know a, a club even as young as Vancouver FC will have to be prepped for has been prepped for and evidently has been dealing with mm-hmm. um and you know, early in the season with Giles on the Val and and the stuff that was going on there. So you know, it's you're especially for an expansion team. The first year is always going to be tough, and there's going to be a lot of lessons learned. And I'm sure there are some things that Sean Hondell might have thought that were valid. And I'm sure that club has taken them into consideration, hopefully, mm-hmm. and is actively trying to be better about it. Um, we will. We won't know the full story. We'll likely we'll never know the full story yeah. of what's going on behind the scenes uh, that led to that. But uh, the the question now, I guess, for his future is: Does he stay in the CPL? Does he mm-hmm. look towards uh, maybe joining another side that is looking for a number nine position? Maybe a team like Valor <laughs> FC. Yeah. I you never know, right? Do you see him staying in the CPL, or do you think he might try his luck maybe in? different countries maybe mm. usl championship or something like that yeah i mean yeah, i mean that was mentioned around twitter journalism um there's people coming up saying that maybe he's uh well we can only wait and see but maybe he's not getting as much attention from other clubs um at this point so far in the very early stages of the off season in the usl um so we have to wait and see but i mean there's there's two teams that I think from the looks of um 
I mean, we'll talk about Halifax soon. It could be a good option up there as an extra striker, depending on where they go. But Fowler could really use someone like him. The fact that he's he's got that pace. Uh, we spoke before when we when we've. When I've gone on my rants about Valor all season, Siaj has got the movement, he's got the pace, he's not finishing. Anthony Novak's got that sort of, I'm a centre forward, this is my role, start personality, and no, neither of them fitted in with the rest of the team. Rashan Hundle can do both those roles. And like he he has mm. the potential to do both those roles, and that could fill uh that could fill Phil De Santos's need in that centre forward, like straight away, I think. I mean you may comment, some people may comment, yeah, he didn't score that many goals, but he was getting played out of position in Vancouver. He, he was do, he was scoring goals as a striker. He got moved around. Like He he was really worrying defences when he was given those opportunities and when Vancouver were playing well. Um, they obviously had those had a few games of easing into the league, shall we say. Mm. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, but he I mean a player like him, if if um if Fowler can fight off any other interest, it would be a uh, really useful addition, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I I think Northern Tribute reported that he is in talks with uh uh several teams, not all of them being CPL teams. So it will be interesting to see mm. where he lands right now. Um, but that was the biggest news coming out of Vancouver FC with their uh, contract talks and their st- status of the of the team. Halifax Wanderers announced theirs uh, today and announced that 10 players had guaranteed contracts for 2024. Among them are Jan Fillion, defenders Timoteo, Nimic, Zachary Fernandez, midfielders Lorenzo Calgari, of course. Um <laughs> Thomas Geraldo, Rampersand, Callum Watson, forwards, uh, Thiago Coimbra, Massimo Ferran. Uh, and, and amongst those, the, the options that were triggered were automatically through appearances were for Caligari, Geraldo, Nimic, and Watson. But it's about the players that have yet to commit themselves to the new year and players who are running out of contract that I think are the more interesting parts of this announcement. Uh, players that have yet to have uh, their club options triggered for 2024 are defenders Christian Campagna, Riley Ferrazzo, Doniel Henry, which we'll talk about in a little bit, Ryan James, Kyle Lahri, and Jake Ruby. Well, midfielders Aiden Daniels and Armand Wilson have yet to be uh, picked up on, and forwards Teo Colom and Fumpa Wandue. Um, so, I'm obviously, and those names that have yet to be triggered, there are a few names that I think you can imagine will be, like Aiden Daniels, like mm. Kyle, Kyle Lowry, even Jake Ruby, maybe, uh, mm. Riley Ferrazzo. The big one there for me, and one of the things that we I uh, think uh, we'll definitely want to talk about is Doniel Henry. Mm. Is he a player that you think will be returning to the team, and they'll <clears> extend <throat> that? Because on one hand, fantastic experience. I spoke about this a little bit with Michael in, in, in last week's episode. He brings fantastic experience. He's a little bit hot headed. Mm. Is he the leader that you want to sort of build this new, you know, geyserism? dynasty around as the leader as as the as at the head of the table or do you want to go with 
somebody else because he didn't play as much as maybe he would have liked as much as mm-hmm. uh maybe the team would have liked uh michael uh mentioned last week that uh apparently Daniel henry was looking this uh as this opportunity as a springboard to sort of revive his career mm-hmm. i wonder if that's still what he's looking to do and to move elsewhere or, or if he has become as attached to the city as it looks like through all of the videos and mm-hmm. and promos that we've seen with him so for you, if you were in the position of 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 deciding his contract, would you keep Daniel Henry on for twenty twenty four, or would you look somewhere else for that experience? Um, I think it would be a big. It would have to um, make a big change in what he where he sees his future in the next two three years, um, because if you saw this as a springboard, I don't think that's worked. Um, he hasn't been able to either prove his fitness or get into the first team. Uh, these two young centre-backs have been fantastic throughout the year. Um, and yeah, off the pitch, they've probably learned a lot from him in this short period of time that they've got to work with him. And that's that part of it is fantastic. But if Daniel Emery has aspirations of being a regular first-team player... I don't think if they can hold on to these two, Dan Nimick and Kale Lowry, do you want do do they need Daniel Emery? He's going to cost a lot more. Who's uh, not going to last too much longer? Big injury risk, and maybe I'm being overly harsh, but he was thrown in late in games. Didn't do an awful like he he maybe he managed the lines well. People who watch them more regularly and what. Daniel Henry's um, uh, contributions while on there like managing the defensive line and things like that maybe I'm overlooking some of that so I'm not saying but on the ball and his abilities uh, that way how much was he better than than Nimick and Kale Lowry I don't think he was playing wise in that sort of those moments in the game where he's doing something um, so yeah, that that that's where I'd be curious to say. Well, you probably aren't gonna. To, to sound harsh from those moments I've watched him play, he's probably not gonna get back to MLS because teams aren't gonna risk the amount of time he's gonna be able to compete on a regular basis. Teams have given him these chances, and before he's come to Halifax, so it needs a change in his mind. I think of yeah, you're now a veteran leader what do you want to do once you retire this could be a great way for you to develop into those future um future roles while still trying to make sure you get first team football as well and will depend on your fitness and the players performances and who we keep but i think that's the biggest thing if he's if he changes his mind from a springboard club to bigger things then maybe you keep him if he's still thinking that i don't think he's the right personality for it yeah, and I think that's a great point in that maybe he is looking towards his latter parts of the career now of moving into maybe some coaching roles or something like that and sees Halifax as a good club for that. Maybe he's all right with being sort of the just the dressing room leader mm-hmm. rather than the on-the-pitch leader and is is happy to have more of a bit part role. Or is he still wanting to have uh, more regular football and be an important player for a team, not just uh, a substitute that comes on late in the game to sort of shore things up? Mm. It really depends on what he wants. But I think personally for me, 
having that experience, especially as a player as seasoned as Daniel Henry has been, you know, has been he, he played in the MLS, he played in Japan, you know, he's been yeah. around in, in, in both England sides of the world, West basically. <laughs> yeah, played in England for a while as well. You that kind of experience is very valuable. And you see the way that he is with certain players on the team already, the way that he jokes around with them, the way he already believes in this team. I think that kind of relationship that he has with the club, his fellow peers, and even the coach is hard to buy. It's mm. hard to to find. So I think to keep him around for that from a club perspective is worth it. Yeah. Uh, obviously, that's not thinking about financials. Who knows yeah. how much he might be earning compared to other players? Will that cause unrest? Will that could have put a strain on their offseason additions? Yeah. That all obviously can come into play. But purely from what he can bring to the club, I think it would be a, a good thing to to continue to go with him for another year. But obviously, again, depending on the financial stuff and depending on what he wants. I think that'll be telling it like they have until December 31st, as they put in their statement. So they still have quite some time to decide, probably having conversations with him regularly about what he feels and even with his family and stuff like that. So it will be interesting to see how that turns out for Daniel Henry and what we see from him in the future and what we see from the club for the future. Another name that is uh, one that popped out to me from this is that Mo Omar, one of the the few players Mm -hmm. that, uh, is from the you could say the old uh, <laughs> Halifax Wanderer, which basically was before this year, is out of contract, and the way that they word it, it makes it seem like it's that's it. He's just out of contract, mm-hmm. and now he's going to be a free agent for teams to sign. Do you think that you know, especially you know, Jao Morelli? That is another piece of news, I guess. Jao Morelli yeah. being retired. Yeah, same, um, yeah. It's a uh, it was reported that it was because of family reasons. He wants to be closer mm-hmm. to his family and and wants to put them as a priority. Very admirable, despite mm-hmm. being quite young as a football player and despite showing you know still signs of quality that he had after his long injury. Yeah. Uh, you never know; he might come out of retirement and play for a local side in Brazil too. Just being closer to his family. Uh, but with a player like him leaving, who is also from the old regime, do you? see Mo Omar as a big miss for Halifax? And where do you see a player like Mo Omar fitting in if it, if at another CPL site? I think he will be if, if he is going. I thought him and Caligari had a really good partnership. Um, I thought they worked really well together in that system. Um, and yeah, you can. Yeah, there are other players there. Maybe that obviously Rampo Sanders is another good player who can do that role. Um, maybe Geraldo could. Maybe they're grooming him to come a bit deeper and do that sort of style. I don't know. Um, maybe they got their eyes on someone new. Um, but I think he was a, a, top, a really like really top, hardworking, no thrills at times kind of player, um, which. I guess maybe I'm maybe because he's playing against alongside Lorenzo Caligari, we say no frills a bit harshly because of how good Caligari was. Um, but I think you look again, you look around the um, you look around the league, and teams teams would love. I think teams would love having him in there. You, you look at Pacific when they struggled without two Saints. It's a good hardworking defensive midfielder to put in there and uh, to add into the depth there could could be really useful there. Vancouver, what are they going to do? Is Renan uh, going to carry on for another 
another season. We don't know. Could be a useful player in there alongside Caden Chung, mm. maybe. Um, Ottawa, how like uh, Zapater was brilliant as he came in, but it's 38 or 40, nearly years old. I forget now. Moimar's a young player who could just who could learn alongside him that year, play with him, take over that role going forward. There's plenty of teams, I think. I mean, other than Valor, who have got defensive midfielders coming out of their ears. Um, <laughs> yeah. Most teams could really use him, I think. And I mean, I think it, I, I, from the way it sounds, it sounds like he won't be there. But I, I mean, are you like me? I think he'll still be in the league. I think it, but it will be with another team. Yeah, I agree. I think he is one of those players that you sort of just see him as a CPL player. Like he's a solid CPL player, can be an asset to pretty much any team and will give you 100% in and out. He's a, he's a he's a good leader, a little bit hot-headed too as we've seen, <laughs> but he's very passionate. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that yeah, a lot of teams could benefit from him. So I definitely see him staying in the CPL and actually the Vancouver FC shout is a great one mm. because you know that's a position that they might be wanting to look towards having an extra player in there in case uh, a player like Randall Garcia starts to drop off a little bit or in case they have further injury issues. Mm. Uh, I think that's a, a a good shout there. But yeah, it's with the caliber of player that Mo Omar is and has shown. Uh, throughout his time at Halifax, I think he'll definitely be in the league uh, for 2024, just maybe not with Halifax. Mm. But uh, moving away from contract talks, uh, well, at least for players, uh, (laughs) there is one discussion that has been dominating quite a bit ever since the announcement of a MLS side sacking their coach. Uh, CF Montreal has parted ways with Hernan Lozada after a bit of a tumultuous season. Now, there have been calls once again, as there were when William Nancy left to go to Columbus, for Montreal to look towards the CPL and specifically look towards some coaches that have been doing very well this season. Mm. Specifically, obviously, Bobby Smirniotis is at the forefront of it. Mm. Name mentioned once again. Uh, I've seen uh, inklings as well for Tommy Wilden Jr., uh, for ex-CPL coach Poma Duca. Mm. And amongst other names is also Mark Dos Santos, who's the current assistant for LAFC, and Mauro Biello, who is the current interim manager for the Canadian men's national team. Now, the big thing is a lot of people are pushing for Bobby because of what he's been able to contribute. Mm-hmm. They know he's a project uh, manager. He is somebody who can take a team and create his own dynasty in the way that we've seen with Fort FC. The one sort of snack that I think a lot of people attribute to why he didn't get the job last time around was that because of Montreal's sort of in-house rules Mm -hmm. that they want a coach that can speak French, that is why they passed up on Smyrniotis. Now, Michael mentioned, this is something we talked about a little bit as well uh, last week with Michael. Michael mentioned that maybe he has been taking some French classes. You (laughs) never know. And to be able to speak more, but Putting aside the little house rule issue, do you think that Bobby would be a good coach to have at the helm of a bigger club like CF Montreal, especially with the fact that they are they have been trying to focus more on local Canadian mm. talent and bringing that local Canadian talent into the team? Do you think that's a good move for Bobby and a good move for CF Montreal? 100%. I think... He's definitely a a coach that 
I mean, you can he's you can just argue that that he's he's achieved everything he can here, and he needs that next jump because he's done so much. His history as a coach uh, has shown how well he has helped develop players and top players who have gone on like. Players who have gone on to be top top Canadian players, uh, he's played a part in their development, and that's something that is going to be really important um, for Montreal. They don't like to spend money. <laughs> they don't want to. They don't often have a um, more than one DP at same times, and um, they need someone who's going to be able to help develop these young players further. I mean, they've had Ishmael Kone who's burst on the scene and recouped a lot of money through the through a big sale that hasn't happened players haven't stepped up like that this season so when you look at people like Bobby he's got a plan for how he wants a club to be run it's not just oh he's a coach who'll come in and do something with the first team he's a coach who'll work with the academy up so I think I think for him taking away the French side. Montreal's a perfect club for him because he's got, mm. it's, it is that bigger money step up from Forge. It's a similar pro, similar project to a degree um, compared to what you look at in Toronto and Vancouver um, that I think he could step up into and he has all the, all the skills to do it. Um, just whether he gets that opportunity to or not is, um, is another question. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, uh, I mean, again, I agree with you completely. I think it's a perfect stepping stone for him, mm. uh, putting aside that, that, uh, French snag part. Yeah. Um, but it's about whether Montreal is willing to sort of take that gamble on because he's proven that he can take a side to a championship level from basically nothing mm. and that he can develop youth and he can make these, these diamonds out of maybe these uncut gems. And now we can see if he has it, not just at the CPL level, but at the MLS level, which is a, a step up. Maybe not as big as a step up as people, some people might think, but still from a coaching point of view, that's a lot more money you're dealing with. Hmm. And it's a lot more fans and a lot, a lot more expectation for him. That again, Then again, like you mentioned, it, it seems like the perfect club because it's a team that is focusing more on youth is in a bit of disarray of what is the philosophy moving forward? What is it that they want to do moving forward? Aside from just developing can, you know, Canadian talents, you know, you look at the, what the Whitecaps have accomplished, you know, they're, they were the best Canadian team this year. You look at what Toronto accomplished earlier uh, in like the mid 2010s mm-hmm. and you're waiting for something like that to happen for Montreal in the similar way that happened literally two years ago. It's not like they, they haven't had success in uh, in recent times but for bobby to come in and say this is now it's my turn i can impose myself into this team mm. back me trust in me give me the keys and i can make something great out of this mm. i think it will fall a lot on the club actually doing that because a lot of people have issues with the saputo family yeah. and we're not going to get into a lot of that drama right now but <laughs> yeah on the mls side there 
But I think for Bobby, he needs to have those assurances Mm -hmm. going into it because he doesn't want to be just another sort of one or two year short stint kind of thing. He probably will want to come in and be like, I am here for the long haul. I'm here to completely reformat this team to give a a new identity to the club, Mm -hmm. uh, at least in playing style and in sort of on the pitch philosophy. And I need to make sure that you guys are aligned with me on that. So I think that will be, a, you know, aside from the French part, the biggest conversation moving forward. Cause I can't imagine a, a coach like Bobby giving up something that he's done, worked so hard for and done so mm. well in, in Forge FC for a sort of like a, a one or two, just going for a cup of coffee kind of job at yeah. a, at a, at a bigger club. So I think for him, that will be the biggest thing going forward. But if he does go, the other question is, what do Forge FC do? Yeah. <laughs> Michael last week mentioned that David Edgar as sort of this protege mm. to Bobby Smirniotis might be the next logical uh, candidate for uh, for Forge FC. But that will be a huge turning point for Forge mm. because you can't, you sort of can't separate Forge FC without Bobby Smirniotis. Right. They're sort of yeah. hand in hand. Uh, at this point in their history so for him to leave would be uh you know cataclysmic in a sense for what will that kind of the 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 ripple effect that that will have mm. uh throughout the club so uh for you what, what how do you think forge fc would cope with that and i mean we when we started this podcast what were we uh week three uh of the season um I think only a couple of weeks into it, he signed a new contract with the club where he also took on the role of sporting director, like as uh, sporting director, I think. I can't remember the exact title. Mm. Um, so this isn't just a head coach leaving. This is the club, like the 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 head of the club, like everything about it leaving. It's not so that's going to be huge for them, um, which is why, yeah, I completely agree with what Michael was saying. I think David Edgar would be the the person to go for that because they'll want to keep some stability. They're, they're a club who have been so consistent for so long, grabbing someone from outside of um, just from outside of everything to come in and imprint their own and they'll want to imprint their own way on doing things. And that will just completely up like, such a huge upheaval. Even if they keep hold of the players, they're all, all of a sudden things could change and you're running that risk of, well, actually, what if the players don't buy in straight away? What happens with the way we've been progressing this club? And so, yes, it's going to be huge for them. Um, and that's just, I guess that's the the biggest concern. Um, and the and a kind of thing which makes me worry about him being an opportunity or uh, being an option for Montreal is because he's not a he like for for him to go to Montreal, he's not in one way it's a great fit because it's Canadian focused. Whereas most of the other MLS clubs, he's he hasn't maybe got that international reputation. Maybe not international, mm. but not quite as well known in the US, probably. Continental. Um, continental, let's go with that. Yeah. Um where and that so that's probably why maybe in Vancouver and um Toronto he won't get those opportunities because he's not come up through the club he's coming from outside but not without the reputation I think that's what Forge will be looking at going well David Edgar has that mix we're not just we're not a team that's just going to grab international or continental or just anyone into this team and give them a chance to imprint their DNA on the team we want someone who 
buys into what we are already. Um, this is why you could see him taking over if Bobby leaves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic points. I agree. I think that uh, you you don't want to shake the house too much. You want to try to make the transition as seamless as possible. And I think David Egger is the safer choice than to sort of bank on a different coach who will definitely want to come in and impose his own mm-hmm. uh, philosophy. And uh, I don't know if Forge would be, you know, willing <laughs> for that. I think they might be a bit reluctant to just exactly. do away with everything that, that Bobby managed to achieve in the last five years. But uh, that is a, yeah, definitely a, a talking point and uh, that we're going to keep an eye on as mm-hmm. the weeks progress. Another big news that happened at the beginning of the month was that a fellow Vancouver FC youngster, the finalist for uh, Young Player of the Year, James Cameron, had a trial in the UK with Luton. And not just with Luton. I think it, there was mm-hmm. also apparently some some looks from other clubs in the English League, uh, English pyramids mm-hmm. as well. Uh, he will return to Vancouver this season, but it seems like that was more to make uh, other teams aware of him. I, I believe that it was set up with the same agent that Arivin Pebble did. That's why mm-hmm. it was the connection to to uh, Luton uh, in that sense. I believe it was through the same sort of agency mm-hmm. or, or stuff like that. But uh, James Cameron, uh, that's huge news for him. Mm-hmm. And also, more importantly, I think, for the league to have another young player sort of training with a Premier League side. How long will they remain a Premier mm-hmm. League side? Chances aren't looking really good right now for them. <laughs> but for a top-level side in, 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 in England, in, in the UK. Uh, and so, you know, fantastic news for him. But do you think, Mike, that this kind of shows that players from the Canadian Premier League, young players of the Canadian Premier League, are on bigger radars than some people might think? Yeah, I think I think they're starting to be. Um, I've, I think there's curiosity. Um I, I spoke with uh, a club here um who the the um James Cameron's agent contacted them saying he's available to come and try or to train would you like to come and have a look at him the same that he did with Luton and this other uh, and the third club that he's he's been with um they were interested in coming to watch him at Luton he was un- unavailable to take part in a sort of exhibition game so um and they chose not to um bring him up uh for the for 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 any training with the team but what what they told me was that the players there um they're quite raw so we the, these are young players who are coming up who've got either physical abilities and technical abilities but they haven't had that training that a lot of the players that they would be competing with in especially in the premier league would have had from a young age and it's it's not to say that they that they're they're coming into Canada, the Canadian Premier League saying right here's some young players we're going to grab them and bring them in, but they're curious as to what they can bring. They're curious to find these players because there will be Ishmael Coney's done it with MLS to Watford. They know that there are players in Canada that have quality. Montreal's academy different obviously to these young players who are, but they're getting first team minutes, and I think that and when when teams are looking at them from abroad saying, okay, well, this kid's 18 years old. He's not really had any professional training in a professional academy training. Um, and he's competing well. He's competing well with these players. This could be a player that we could work with, or this could 
and this could be a sign of what this league is starting to bring and it's definitely highlighting what Canadian talent is out there um hopefully it works for him in the future and all these young players but I think the the aside from it personally it's great for the league because clubs are now keeping an eye on what's being done how the how the players are being developed and prepared for first team football yeah yeah and i think it, and it's a great point because uh, you look at again it's a very young lead the infrastructure is not uh as there as it is in the you know premier league and other uh top leagues in europe and even in in the four top leagues in in england and a lot of these young players have talent, have potential, but they are a bit raw. And, mm-hmm. you know, not something we, I'm, we're we thinking of talking about, but I didn't want to get too much into mm-hmm. was the Under-17 World Cup. But we can link it a little bit. Something that we're seeing with the Under-17 World Cup right now with the, with the Canadian boys is that, you know, they've lost both of their games 2-0 and 3-0. And it looks like exactly what you said. They're a little bit raw. They're lacking lacking a little bit of that technical ability going forward mistakes happen all the time but it's that identity it's that philosophy of play that is a bit lacking from the the canadian side right now at the world cup and i think it also kind of shows with players that are talented tj tahid on that under 17 world cup we've seen how great he can be uh with his stints uh, that he showed uh with vancouver fc this season but when you compare them to a you know a 16 year old Spanish kid that has been in 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 the uh, you know in La Masia in Barcelona or any other Spanish academy or even ones in England, there is a sizable gap between them. Not necessarily maybe in terms of talent, but in terms of football education and yeah, sort yeah, of football IQ. Mm-hmm. And I think that is going to be something that is a reality. But it's good to know that maybe some teams are willing to bank on that and be willing to be like, all right, I can see that you have potential. You're a bit raw. There's you're a little behind in terms of other players, your age, but I'm willing to take a risk on you and maybe bring you in for a little while to get you up to speed and then see how you progress in your career further, which is my, what might, might be happening with James Cameron. So I think from yeah. that perspective, in my, it, it, I mean, either way, it's a great, thing for the league but from that perspective considering these things i think it's good to know where we sort of stand and that it's okay that we're a little bit you know raw and we're a little bit behind in terms of other things it completely makes sense with the with uh how young the league is and how maybe behind canada is in in football compared to other uh countries in in europe and africa and asia and in south america mm. and we just accept where we are and hope to build further so that when we do produce young players in 5, 10, 15 years time, maybe they will be more technically apt and then more able to make that jump uh, to bigger teams across the pond quicker. Yeah, I think and it's it's difficult for in, in Canada I think because you've got these three MLS teams who have had academies for longer periods of time and you can think, partly you can think, well yeah but we've been training players for years, like we've been giving these young people like professional um, environments to train in for the last 10 years and uh, especially, but then you, you did, but then you have to remember like CPO is five years old, uh, Vancouver a one-year-old, like <laughs> they, 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 everything is still really early on, so you've got that really sort of mix that goes on between the te- between those three MLS teams and these eight 
um, CPL teams of where they are in their sort of their journeys of becoming academy growing like clubs. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's yeah, I guess it's you you can't get too carried away um, and just want to quickly rush up and be level with what the MLS sides are doing with their young players and build it up as they go along. But yeah, fantastic for the for the players who are getting those getting those looks already. But MLS yeah. is going to be that route, isn't it? I think that's the one these players have got to look at. MLS is probably the first one to say, okay, well, we can make a step up there. I mean, so others have gone into other areas of Europe, but when we spoke with Sean Young, he's mentioned, oh, I'd love to be able to go and play in the championship. Maybe that needs a MLS jump to then see where you are from there and then go get across that way. I don't know, but yeah, it's going to be interesting, but yeah, we have to calm ourselves down, I guess, sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, no, for sure. And yeah, but MLS seems like the next logical step mm. for players who want to continue development before they might go in and uh, push towards um, teams in Europe. But we have seen the jump. I mean, Gautin yeah. Tigny this year was a clear exactly. sign of that. Yeah. Uh, and we've seen other players throughout the years make that jump as well. But uh, speaking of players in the MLS, uh, we're going to talk now about players that are doing the opposite. Of making the jump yeah. to MLS, players that might be making the jump—I don't want to say down—adjacent to <laughs> uh, CPL, which is some players that were released by the MLS sides in uh, these past weeks, uh, mostly from uh, Vancouver. We're going to talk about right now. Mm. Uh, the big names that we're talking about are Thomas Asal. Uh, Cameron Habibula and Matteo Campagna. Now, Thomas Asal, I think, is one that we've spoken about mm-hmm. a little bit this season as a player that could make the jumps uh, to, to the CPL, maybe to develop a bit more uh, last season with the Whitecaps. He was seen as the number one at uh, being such a young player. Didn't go all that great for him. Maybe mm-hmm. he was thrown in a little bit too early yeah. this season. He was sort of second fiddle uh, to Yohei Takaoka. And he, the few opportunities they did have, again, wasn't impressing. Then, unfortunately, he got a long-term injury, was put on the uh, end-of-season injury list, and now was released by the club. So, hasn't been the greatest of times for Thomas Hassel in the last 12 months, but doesn't mean that his career has to end there. There are still opportunities in the CPL. And we've talked about what teams could potentially get an upgrade in – terms of goalkeeping for you do you think that there is a home in the cpl for a player like thomas hassal and where do you think that might be i'm not really sure uh i think the logical one maybe halifax um but obviously they're keeping jan Fillion on uh who's worked who's played well with them <laughs> the, the, the 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 biggest question i have would be what will his wage ex- expectations be after being an MLS? And is what you're probably going to be paying extra compared to the goalkeeper you've got, is he going to win you enough points to make it worthwhile with his goalkeeping? Mm. And you look at the lower, you look at the teams who didn't make the um, playoffs, uh, Ottawa's, they'll, they'll, they'll stick. Um, Valor, I think they will stick. I think they will build around Ryan Yesley. Like, why do you? Oh yeah. Will Thomas Asal make as big an impact compared to what Ryan Yesley did this year? Probably not. Uh, Vancouver, 
Gunnar Murphy's their captain, first player signed. Will they want to move on from him after a year? Will Thomas Lassau want to be his backup? Um, yeah, he might want to stay at home, and if he's running out of opportunities, maybe, but I can't see that happening. Pacific is a curious one, depending on where they want to go with Emil Gazdov, but I personally feel they they want to develop him further. So the cavalry don't need a goalie. Uh, so because it's such a small league and it's one position, and a lot of these players are captains, <laughs> or like uh, Tristan Henry's not going to be moved on from forwards probably for Thomas Lassau. Where do you go? Um, that's that's the difficulty for him because I'm not saying he's not good enough to play in this league. He's definitely got the quality, I think, but. He's definitely, he's definitely got the potential. He's obviously going through a tough time at the moment, uh, form-wise. I mean, he was part of the Canadian national team when they had that Bahrain count with just MLS uh, players. So obviously there was <laughs> curiosities about where he would develop, but he's in a really tough position with the fact that there's been a number of good goalkeepers in this league. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's, you know, earlier in the season, we would have might have said Jan Philly and even maybe Pacific with the issues that they were having with Emil Gazdov. But right now, it seems like most teams' goalkeeping position is quite solid. Yeah. And if that's the case, given what he his wage was, you know, minimum salary in the MLS is very different than yeah. the salary that it is in the CPL, we're probably going to see... Hassel make a move somewhere else that isn't CPL. I'd be very surprised to see him in the CPL given the strengths that each team has in the goalkeeping position. But you never know. Another team might want to go in, you know, swoop up a, a player like Ryan Yesley from Valor, and then exactly. there's an opening there. Yeah. So it's not like it it will definitely not happen. But as things stand right now, I would see it being pretty tough for him to find a team that's willing to sort of spend that splash that extra cash for him mm-hmm. and then have him either as competing for that first position or as a backup when most teams already have an established number one. But the another player is Cameron Habibula, now uh, Cam- Canadian Premier League fans and uh, Pacific FC fans in specific will know mm-hmm. about him since yeah. he was loaned to Pacific last season i believe he played 18 or 20 times i think he only scored one goal for them in his stint there he then went back and played with the second side wfc2 aside this season um do you see him maybe finding a place back in pacific fc now that his contract is up or do you see him maybe moving even closer to a vancouver fc or or, or somewhere else in the cpl yeah i think and with Pacific, they've got plenty of good attacking players. Um, I think he's had that an extra year to develop a bit further and could come back and be a really useful addition. I guess that just depends on what happens with their squad. I don't think that's an area that James Merriman's going to be focusing on um, as much. Um, so that would be an interesting one. But Valor, uh, sorry, Vancouver... Again, they've got Gabby Bittar had a great, uh, great season. Mickey Cantav's come in. I think them two have formed a great partnership. They need. I think they'd look at more of a striker. They're looking different areas, maybe bolstering up the defense, but could possibly, if he um, being in the city, it could be a good, a good landing, landing spot for him. But 
maybe he's a player that the likes of Atletico Ottawa or um, Valor take a shot on just bringing in like, okay, you've got some quality on the ball. He's very, very technically gifted and can do things in the final third that both of those teams would need. Um, and I mean, I'd be quite excited to see what um, what Patrice Geiser could do with him, but yeah, it all depends on <laughs> he's got a lot of competition in there, in those positions there. <laughs> Yeah, very true. I think that's for any case. You see any talented <laughs> player and you think right now, oh, what could he do under Patrice yeah. just because of everything that he's done there? But yeah, I agree with you. And I think that um, it, there are a lot of teams that could use that potential that he's shown. Mm. He's still a young player. He still has a lot that he could uh, grow into. Um, and it depends on whether teams want to be able to bank on him and hope that he shows more than he showed with Pacific and showed more than he showed with WFC two yeah. uh, in these past couple of seasons and, and grow into being a better player. Last player was uh, Mateo Campagna, the, the center back for uh, the Vancouver White House. He was let go. His brother, Christian Campagna obviously was playing for the Halifax Wanderers. He's one of the players that is still up for debate on the, uh, contract extension uh i think for him it, it would be a solid addition at center back i don't know if he he's a player that teams would want to have as a starter necessarily um if he's a player that a lot of teams want to rely on as that kind of main figure uh, at the heart of a uh, heart of the back line, but I think he still is useful. He's shown with the Whitecaps when he has been called upon. Uh, we that he has uh, opportunities to step up to the plate, um, and so I, I mean I don't know how much of you of of him you've seen, mm-hmm. uh, Mike, but uh, especially maybe having that brotherly connection at Halifax. Mm-hmm. Could you see that happening for Mateo Campania with his brother if he stays on at Halifax? Possibly. Um, the I think the the again the difference where, where depends on who they're bringing back and what kind of role he's looking for in the CPL. There's one the one team that I should have thought for Thomas Lasalle as well, but for Matteo Campana, we don't know what's going to happen with York. There there could mm. be quite a few players leaving. Uh, Thomas Lasalle being Canadian, like he might be, it just might be useful for um, York to get to bring him in as a like a relatively big name um, for the league, um, and Matteo Campana as well. Like, I mean, we saw how much they struggled in defence um, and how through injuries, you've got experienced players there who they 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 could be needing to move on from Fowler as well maybe defensively they had so many issues with injuries players who they maybe can't rely on for full seasons um but yeah so I, I'd look at them I probably would I, I don't think he'd stay local and stay in um Vancouver because I think if Vancouver are bringing in defenders it's going to be an experienced defender um to go to because they've got um Rocco Romeo and Anthony White there's great prospects going forward. I think a more experienced player would come into that to work with those three with those two. Um so I can see him having to leave the city. But yeah, possibly Halifax, but I think some of these other teams might be more in need and he'd get more minutes possibly uh elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, I agree. 
But that is it for all of the news roundup. There's still a little, little bit of other news, but this episode's going on for on, so we might save it for uh, a different episode later uh, uh, throughout this end of the year. Mm. But uh, thank you so much once again for listening to this little news recap episode. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook so that you can give us your thoughts on this episode was there any news that we missed that you wanted to hear was there any uh, is there any news that's going to come out that you would like us to address in the future let us know we can give you a little bit of a shout out on the next week's episode but until next time i'm felipe ojejo and i'm mike rice and this has been coast to coast fc signing out